You're listening to Pole Parlor, a fun, inspiring podcast for all those bewitched by pole dance. Each week, your Madam Crimson Minx has candid conversation with unique, engaging individuals from within and around the pole dance community. Pole Parlor is passionate about preaching creativity, soulful sensuality, and empowerment through pole dance. You know how we do. Welcome everyone to Pole Parlor. This is episode 49, Lisa D., I'm your host, Crimson Minx. This week on the podcast, we have Aussie pole dancer, performer, and coach, Lisa D. On this episode, we talk about how Lisa became enchanted with pole, witnessing the stage charisma of women she danced with during her early days working at a strip club, how she transitioned from a master's program to being a full-time pole professional, the importance of understanding and embracing your personal style as a dancer, and the value of finding balance in the pole industry. Also, don't forget to check out Lisa's post-podcast interview on the blog at poleparlor.com where she shares her favorite photos, music, video, and more. And if you're digging these episodes, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and or iTunes. And if you're in a particularly rad mood, please leave a review on iTunes so we can get better rankings and reach more people and eventually take over the world. So now, here's Lisa. Holy shit. Slow down, grab the wall, wiggle like you're trying to make your ass fall off. Hell, I think I want Welcome, Lisa D. to the Pole Parlor Podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Hi. Thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, doing well. Thank you so much for being with us. We're excited to talk. <laughs> I'm excited. Thank you. You're welcome. So let's jump on in. For how long have you been pole dancing and how did you first discover pole? Um, I've been going since 2001, um, or so, so what's that, uh, 15 or 16 years, years? but, um, but there have been some, uh, long gaps in there, like between 2002 and 2005, I actually didn't do any polling. Um, so that was a long, long gap. And there was another gap in, uh, between 2000 eight and nine sometime for injury. Um, so anyway, there's been a few years of gaps around there. So I don't know, some, something like 12 years in. Still if a lot. Yeah, or maybe 13 if you add it all up. Um, and I started polling um, because I was a stripper years ago um, in 2001. Um, I got into it because I was working as a bartender in a wine bar um, it was a really nice place and I was working with a guy who was fairly serious in the sommelier kind of sense about his wines. Uh, so I was learning a lot about wines, but the pay was, you know, whatever it was, $12 an hour cash in hand, um, which in Australia is, is, I know base level of pay is different all around the world, but in Australia it's not terribly good. Um, and after work at nights, one of the only places that would be open near us was a strip club because we would finish up at around midnight at the wine bar and it wasn't a very busy area of town. So the only other thing that was open was a strip club after midnight. So we would um, go in for after work drinks at the strippers just and, you know, hang about. Um, and after going in a couple of times and um, just watching the girls dance on stage, I thought, look, I reckon I can do that. And one of them came off stage and I was like, hi, how much do you make per hour? 
<laughs> she said, oh, you know, on a slow night, I make about $50 an hour cash. And I was making 12 an hour cash, um, standing on my feet all night, um, getting just as smelly with cigarette smoke and having to pour drinks all night. So getting splashed with beer and coffee all night and going home stinking, you know, hospitality work can make you pretty smelly. Did it for a very long time. Yes, I know. Yeah. Um, and so I literally went, Oh, that's, that's great. Thanks. And walked up to the reception desk and said, Oh, I'm, I'm going to start dancing here. And they said, all right, come in tomorrow night. And so I did. And that was it. That was completely it. That's um, no an easy training. interview process. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think back in the day before YouTube and all that, getting into exotic dancing was not – I don't know if there – I have no idea how it is now if um, if you have audition processes or something like that. But really they just said, very good, come back tomorrow at 7 o'clock and you can start. And they gave me a short induction, but the induction was like, here are the toilets, that's the stage, you know, here's the bar – here are some house rules. Um, on your third shift, you have to get on stage, the end. Wow. And so, like, what <laughs> what, what was – I'm assuming it's just, like, a typical club in Australia. So we've – I forgot to mention before, you're in Melbourne. I don't know if this was happening yes. in Melbourne. Um, but Brisbane, so like, it was. Oh, Brisbane. Okay. So yeah. when you started working at this club, was it – there was a poll, I assume – and then was yeah. there also like the private dance rooms, then you had to do a stage performance. So it was like a mixture of both. And the way it operated there is there were two poles on a catwalk style stage. Okay. Um, the back of the back of the stage was the small rectangular stage with a catwalk leading away from it through the middle of the club floor cool. onto a small podium stage at the front. So a long catwalk with one pole at either end. Um, and that was that was really fun. That was my favorite. That was just my favorite thing. I never, I wasn't uncomfortable on stage. I was nervous to go up the first time, but yeah. I've always loved to dance, like like crazy loved to dance. It just wasn't a problem. I was just like, yeah, it's my turn. And then I got up. <laughs> I'm nervous, but also yeah. totally fine. Um, I wasn't, uh, I don't know, I wasn't worried about the the judgment of the men in the club on whether I was good or not. I just thought, I'm going to make at least $50 an hour, whether they like me or not. Um, yeah, there was private dance room. At that place, there was one big room. Um, yeah, one big room with couches. It's a long time ago now, so it's like 15 years ago. Um, but there was a big room with couches lining the walls all the way around, like one long leather bench kind of couch. Okay. Um, so when you were giving a dance, you could see everyone else around you giving their dances. It was like a big room of dancers. Yeah. Okay. Um, and a bar, like a regular bar, as in serving booze. Um, and that was the whole setup. Dressing room. The dressing rooms were nice. We had, you know, um, heaters and hair dryers and hair curlers and straighteners and stuff mm. for us to use. So it was a fairly swanky one. Yeah. Uh, yeah it was good. Cool. Was yeah. it full nude or topless or... Um, it actually shifted from topless to full nude um, when I'd been there for about six months. There was some either, I don't know what it was, whether it was a legislation change or whether that club bought or was granted um, a higher level of license, a higher level entertainment um, nightclub license. So, yeah, after I'd been there for about six months, it went from topless or G-string topless to full nude. Um, but the rules about uh, contact didn't change, so that was still fine. Yeah. And were there, like... <laughs> 
girls there that were good on the pole? Is that like, did you see that pole and you were like, yeah, that, that, I'm going to do stuff on that thing. (laughs) There were, so there were no, I didn't see any tricks more advanced than a uh, hello boys where you sit on your own fist and open your legs yeah. or some basics upright spins or a layback where you sit on the pole and you lay back. Yeah. Um, so those were the most advanced tricks I saw, but there are some girls who had, um, a huge amount of stage charisma, mm-hmm. like, like, you know what I mean? Just yeah. that, just that indescribable stage charisma. So the level of pole, um, I saw the level of pole and I was like, sweet, I'm going to do that. And then I got quite bored pretty quickly dancing. And I was like, okay, now I'm just going to make stuff up forever. Um, and so I began just making stuff up like <laughs> during my shift when I'm supposed to be on stage doing my three songs of dancing. I'm like, all right, what if I try this? What if I try that? Oh yeah. The customers, uh, yeah, eye contact, eye contact. Okay. What if I try this? <laughs> um, but what I loved was the girls with stage charisma more than, more than seeing tricks. It was seeing their stage presence. That was a learning experience for me. Yeah, yeah, I could imagine because I mean you're there to get paid, not to learn how to like outside leg hang. So <laughs> yeah, they were doing yeah. their job so, correctly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and they were amazing. Wow. Um. So yeah, there were, were a couple of girls I can still remember quite clearly, and I haven't spoken to them since that time. But there's a couple in particular I can remember quite clearly how they looked on stage, and just thinking their charisma and their presence was just I want that for myself. Yeah, that was a big learning experience. Yeah, that's a really cool early influence to be, to carry over or to like be even cognizant of, you know? (laughs) How did you transfer then? What was, what were the next steps that got you from that to starting to compete and, and getting to the actual pole dancing from stripping? Um, Well, I went after that. So I stopped, I, um, danced for 12 months, but stopped because I couldn't handle the clientele. Like, um, Mm. I'm a relatively sensitive, (laughs) Uh. I'm not saying, no, it's not that I'm more sensitive than other people. I, um, I'm too sensitive, I guess, in some ways, like I could handle the clientele. I just, I couldn't brush it off easily enough. Like I, some of the, uh, the bulk of, um, the clientele were just, shitty people basically and I don't think club goers are shitty people I think the bulk of the guys I happened to meet were shitty people um and this is pre-internet in those days now there seems to be um we have a large and public movement surrounding um how you treat people at their work whether their work is in a strip club or in a supermarket we have a large and public movement around how you treat people um Uh, without the internet being as big a deal then as it was now and without a gajillion blogs and um, opinion pieces on slut shaming and whorephobia and all this kind of thing, people treated you not so great and they got away with it completely. You couldn't go onto Facebook the next day and name and shame. You just had the men in those days, they treated women who worked in any aspect of the sex industry like people who didn't matter. Um, And the realization just hit me over and over and over again. I mean, I don't care exactly if someone individually treats me like I don't matter. That's their fucking loss. Like, that's on them. But what did matter is the realization that as a very young woman, the people who operate the mechanics of the world around me, the movers and shakers, the power players, the people who run the show are these men. It's them. 
and now I know what they're like inside. How can I live? How can I live and be happy in a world run by those fuckers? Mm. That's what did me in. It's not some guy going, oh, you got, you got small tits, yuck. It's the fact that that grown man in his early 50s runs the world and <laughs> I have to live in it. And it, it just fucking did my head in and I had to leave eventually or crumble and die and not, and not feel like I would have a place in the world that's run by those morons. That's a so, great way anyway. to I don't think that – it's funny when you said that. I was like, hmm, I just feel like, you know, knowing Lisa a little bit that I do just, you know, through um, online, I was like, I don't think she's sensitive. I think that you do not like putting up with bullshit. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, you know, it, it – it, but I don't like putting up with bullshit because it makes me so sad and upset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that, and because I am sensitive, like it, it hits me – it hits me hard. And then I think, well, I can't live. I can't live with this. And then, well, what do you do? You, you know, you got to live with it. So, yeah. yeah. So I moved on and, um, moved to Japan for 18 months to teach English. Um, didn't do any dancing over there in hindsight. Maybe I should have, cause you know, the money, but I didn't, uh, so I taught (laughs) English, came back. And then my mum told me that, Ah, so now when I came back, it was like 2004 or so, I think. And my mom said, whoa, did you know pole dancing is this thing that they do in gyms now? Oh my God, it's a new fitness craze. So I found it in a gym um, and was like, oh, you know, hooray, it's now it's, now it's in a gym. I can do all the pole dancing without any of the guys. (laughs) And, And within a month of ending up at that gym, the woman who ran the pole studio there um, asked me if I wanted to manage it and then if I wanted to take it over because she had to go back to America. Um, her visa was up. She had to go back to America. So I inherited this pole studio. No way. Um, and I, yes way. That's crazy. Uh, and I grew it from there. Is that where you still are today? Oh, no, no. That okay. place, um, that, that, yeah, no. That was oh, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No idea what's happened with that place or even if the gym still exists. Um, yeah. Yes, I was there until 2008, and then I moved to wow. Melbourne. Yeah, okay. and um, I ran it. Um, I built it up as much as I could, but I was doing university at the same time. Like I decided to go to uni, so I was doing university at the same time. And then I wanted to do a master's program in Melbourne, so I moved to Melbourne in early 2009 to do the master's program and left the gym behind. What was what was your <laughs> master's program in? Um, translation German to English. Wow, that's very specific. Do you still do that? Do no, I, um, I did that. I did the master's for a year and then went, oh, fuck it, I want to be a pole dancer after all. And just, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't stop pole dancing that whole time, but okay. I was like, let's be sensible. Mm, you know, yeah. running a pole business is tough. Because um, after the gym, I was like, yeah, running a pole business is really tough. Especially um, at that time. Yeah, I was studying German at uni at the same time, yes, especially at that time because there weren't many, there was not a lot of pole dancing around in Australia, so people, it was hard to get customers and da 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 um, So I thought I'll be sensible and I'll get a, like a straight job. Um, did, a, did almost a year of the Masters, which was like a two-year Masters all up and, and um, said, da <laughs> no, pole dancing it is and quit the Masters and, you know, and that's it and just jumped straight back in. Um, and didn't look back kind of, (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, you said you liked it when you were at the strip club. You just loved being on stage. So like that doesn't go away, even though the clients talked. It was there was still that desire to be on stage. So that's cool that you found like a more positive uh, way to do that. <laughs> yeah. And these days we've got um, like these days there are lots of opportunities to get your sexy on on stage in front of a super supportive pole yes. audience, mm-hmm. which is like paradise. Yeah. 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 Isn't yeah. that insane? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you yeah. kind of get the best of both worlds. So yes. maybe it doesn't pay as well, but, you know, we'll, we'll maybe we'll oh. figure that out as we go on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because women's because women's sports and entertainment make so much money. <laughs> right I know we talk about that a lot of how like you know pro athletes like you know I think Michelle Mm -hmm. Shimmy was saying how she had reached out to to Red Bull and was like you know you could be one of the first companies to support a like a a female athlete and in a female dominated sport and they're like nah so yeah, we're they're like, thanks, no it. thanks. Yeah. 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 Well, we're working on it. Um, but and yeah. you were one of the people that are, you know, kind of pioneering things. And you have been, so you, when you look at your credentials, like your competition list and your performance list and just your experience on stage and pole is so extensive. So like, how did you start getting into the performing and making a name for yourself? Um, so I was um, running that studio um, out of the gym mm-hmm. and just kind of plugging away with that from 2005 to um, late 2008. Uh, and I actually didn't realize there were such a thing as pole competitions. I knew there were strip competitions and club comps. I knew about those, but I had never entered one. Um, But then in 2008, early 2008, I got an email from the organizers um, of Miss Pole Dance Queensland. Queensland is the state that Brisbane is in. Um, Miss Pole Dance Queensland calling for entrants and judges. Um, and so I thought, oh, look, a pole competition, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, so I did. So I built myself a routine um, to a Gillian Welsh song called Revelator, which is just so beautiful, um, and entered Miss Pole Queensland and won. Uh, so that was nice. And that's how I got into it all. <laughs> Wow. And then you were hooked. And then I was hooked. Yeah. So I went through to the nationals and did um, Miss Pole Dance Australia. I've done a few Miss Pole Dance Australias and that was my first one um, in 2008. And um, I did it barefoot. (laughs) In Australia, (laughs) Miss Pole Dance Australia. What a renegade. I know. I was a barefoot dancer. (laughs) By that time, I had left the shoes and gone barefoot. So I really wanted to do it barefoot. Um, So I did. Or I did it in little ballet flats, actually. Okay. Well, not ballet flats, yeah, little ballet shoes. Um, yeah, and that's how I got into the whole thing. And once you're once you're in, it's easier to stay in than it is to get in, if you know what I mean. Yes. Like for people, yeah. So once I was in, I just kept rolling and applying for competitions and applying and applying and competing and applying and 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 and. 
So did, is that the point when you were like, okay, I'm going to be a, pro-, you know, you dropped out of school or dropped out of the master's program um, just to focus on the pole. Were you traveling a lot? Were you teaching workshops? Like what was the life like then? How did you kind of manage to? Um, so I dropped out of the master's program, but um, I had moved interstate for that. So I no longer had a studio locate. I was no longer managing a studio to make money for me. So that was gone now. Um, so I got a job as a um, as a closed captioner, someone who puts subtitles on television. Um, yeah, so I was working in an office in 2009 and 10 and 11 um, and 12, no, 9, uh, not 10, 2010 to 12, 2009 to 13, something in those years. It was a few years, like three. Um, so I was working in an office putting subtitles on television. Um, and I kind of got that job because I'd been studying translation and there's a bit of, um, subtitling. You learn how to subtitle, um, yeah, to some extent, uh, when you're studying translation. So that enabled me to get that weird little job. So that's how I was making money, um, in the earlier years as like 2008, 9, 10, 11, um, of competing. And then I was getting more teaching work with Paul. So then as I built up the teaching work and as opportunities started to come, like um, teaching at camps and on cruises and stuff like that, I gave up the office job. So it kind of, you know, crossed over like that. And yeah, yeah. so I had the office job. And then as Paul built up in terms of the money it could make, I, yeah, gave up the office job. Nice. I mean, yeah, it's like a slow, <laughs> slow transition until you could make it yeah. work. It's a smart way to do yeah. it. So like I just didn't I don't think I had another choice because in 2008 and 9 in Melbourne Australia there's not a lot there weren't a lot of teaching positions even open and I didn't want to run another studio I knew gotcha. that I was like I am yeah so it had to be teaching work Gotcha gotcha yeah. and so like you traveled what was your experience like once you went full time like how did you make that work was it just traveling a lot was it a lot of workshops or um, so it's, uh, what was my, so I don't travel a lot. I workshop a little bit. So I workshop a relatively good amount. Um, workshops definitely workshops make, um, some good money for pole dancers. So, um, although it's not as good as it seems like I've heard students go, Oh my God, that workshop is $70. But when you think about it, the person coming to you to teach your workshop has left their, if they've got regular teaching work at their home studio, they've left that behind, they've travelled, and even if the, the hosting studio is paying for your travel, you still travel away from your regular work, so you're losing money on your regular work mm-hmm. um, to go and teach workshops. So it, it costs you money to teach workshops. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but workshops make good money. So I teach as many of those as I um, can. Yeah. Um, uh, last year I did a massive tour of Europe, which was lovely, um, but I don't think I'll ever do a tour that big again. I'll keep them smaller from now on. Um, so more like one week at a time, um, uh, because I don't like being away from home as much as some people do. I prefer just no, being at home. People do it like that all, like the constant traveling. And we've talked to a lot of people on the podcast who are on the road at least 50% of the year. You have to like, like that lifestyle, you know, it's a big sacrifice. So yeah, but it's a it's a it's a lifestyle choice. Yes. It's a lifestyle thing. 
Um, And most of my life revolves around the studio I teach at, which is Bottoms Up in Brunswick. So most of my life revolves around the studio. I know. (laughs) So I'm there six days a week. Oh, wow. uh, Either teaching or training Mm -hmm. or a combo of both or doing privates. Um, Teaching privates is important for uh, like an on-the-ground pole dancer's income as well. If you're not touring a lot, um, you teach your regular classes, but then taking private students um, is an important part of our income. So, yeah, my whole life basically revolves around that studio um so if it ever goes what am I gonna do no if it ever goes I'll be fine um but I don't yeah I don't enjoy the touring lifestyle I enjoy reaching the destination and meeting all the new students and seeing a new studio or 10 or 20 new studios I like that part I like arriving so every time I arrive at a new studio I'm like hooray see how see what their setup is like meet the studio owner in person because sometimes you only get to speak over email and you finally meet them and that's nice or you know them on Facebook and you finally meet them and it's like no it's like meeting a a friend almost yeah um meeting all of their students and you know teaching new people some of the students you're going to know from Facebook as well so it's kind of like reaching a new studio every time you finally get there after getting on and off a bus and a plane and a train (laughs) yeah yeah that's amazing. But the actual travel, travel part of touring is oh, yeah. fucking tough. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's I'll do little tours, but big ones, it's not for me. I'm too um, too much of a sook. I respect that and I completely <laughs> understand that. <laughs> and so you do, you know, we said before that you've done like a lot of competitions, though, and that you seem like really well versed in that. And I'm sure that you in a lot of your one on ones and your privates, you Um, are kind of training people in stage performance and things like that. So, like, can we talk about that? Like, what do you think makes you so successful on stage when performing with pole? And, like, what's some advice for people, like, maybe who are starting out? And how have you even evolved? Like, when you first started competing, like, now you've probably learned so much along the way. So... I think, all right, well, training people for competition is, it's fun and it's interesting and it's challenging. Um, It's challenging because um, you're constantly asking yourself what sits well on another person. Mm. So when you train yourself, you're focusing solely on yourself and what sits well on you. And that's been, that's been most of my experience is training myself because I haven't had any coaches up to this point. Oh, wow. Um, So I, um, I of course have done many workshops. Like whenever, whenever someone comes into town, if I'm here, I am in their class. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we get some beautiful dancers through Melbourne. We're lucky like that. So mm-hmm. we've had a lot of great people come through and whenever they're here, I take their class. Um, but outside of attending workshops, I've always coached myself and trained myself and I haven't had a coach up to this point. Um, so the real challenge with coaching other people that being the case is that I'm so used to working with my own Uh. movement that the challenge is always really settling into another person's movement and really trying to focus on them and see what sits on them. Um, So that's the most interesting part about coaching other people for competition, I think. And some, you asked me why I've been so successful um, well, sometimes when I watch the videos, I don't know, but <laughs> when I watch my videos, I'm like, oh, why? Um, I get told a lot 
that, and it's such a silly word, but I get told a lot that I'm unique or that I have a style of my own. Um, and I think a lot of the people who are self-taught because starting where I started and teaching myself by and large means that I am self-taught. Um, most of the people who are self-taught have really, really had to settle in and dig into their own style of movement because what choice do you have? You are, for my first four years in pole, I was alone in the studio. I didn't even have another teacher teaching with me. So you just, it's like an endless navel gaze. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. We just talked about this with Bailey Day who had the exact advice when she was saying for you know, how she came into her own. She was like, I taught myself and I was by myself in the studio. So I was doing things that I wasn't necessarily mimicking others. And she said that that's advice. Like if you want to kind of get to the next level, like just try leaving the studio or doing things like not looking at other people for a little bit. So that's kind of like, you're the second person to say that in a few weeks. So there's something to that. I think there is something to that. Um, Yeah, definitely. And at, one time on it was the in Australia we have this amazing thing called the East Coast Pole Cruise. Cool. Um, it is a cruise ship that leaves Sydney and sails around the Pacific Islands um, for eight days. And on the cruise, they run a whole bunch of pole dancing. It's a huge cruise ship. I want to yeah. do this. I've never heard you, of this. What? Yeah, the East Coast Pole Cruise. It's okay. a pole camp basically, yeah. but it's on a cruise ship. And you get to have some um, fun. I'm assuming, right? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I've taught on the East Coast Pole Cruise um, twice now. And on my first go, um, I was hosting a workshop which ended up being like a big round table discussion. It was an off the pole workshop. Okay. So they have on the pole workshops and off the pole workshops. Oh, okay. So I was teaching slash hosting an off the pole workshop called Character and Performance for Pole Dancers. Um, and there were no polls in the room. So it ended up being a roundtable discussion. And something that surprised me is I was asking the group, I asked people to pair up and in pairs, I wanted them to discuss with each other what they think their personal style is. What is their movement footprint or imprint? What is the impression their movement gives? What are three words they would use to describe their own personal movement and in pairs they were to discuss that with each other and then um, we could discuss it with the group and at least at, at least 60 percent of the group came back with oh I don't, I don't know I don't know what I don't know do I don't know if I have a personal style of movement I've never thought of that before is that is that important so wow. in, in terms of yeah in, and from that I I had like an Oprah moment I was like Jesus Christ <laughs> In terms of competition and dance full stop, I think you you have to know what your personal movement go-to or style or comfort zone or imprint or notion of self in terms of your movement. You have to know what it is. And that's always one of my primary pieces of advice for people who ask me about competing. When they're like, I'm thinking of competing, da-da-da-da-da, it's always you have to know yourself. You have to know how your body likes to move and how you are as a dancer before you can put anything on stage or what you put on stage is either a mess or it's derivative. So smart. What are your, how would you describe yours? What's the answer for, for Lisa D? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, my, my natural style of movement is very instinctive. 
Um, I, because I'm not a trained dancer, I rely a lot on flow. So on feel and sensation. So I need to feel the music I'm dancing to really deeply. Otherwise I can't move to it because my movement vocabulary is not that of a trained dancer. Um, my movement style is mobile. Um, I'm not flexible, but I'm mobile. Um, it's fluid. Again, I'm not super flexible, but I'm fluid. Uh, and it's creative. Good. I think, and, and you nailed it. Like, you know yourself well. So I think that's a good exercise for people listening. Like, take the time to, to kind of dig into that. Because I think that can also inform not even just the classes you take, but, like, maybe you can stop beating yourself up a little bit. Like, man, like, okay, like, I just can't do this move. Well, it's because that's not my style of dance. I'm not a flexi dancer. So you can kind of, like, accept and just more excel at what you want to focus on, you know? So yeah, you can specialize, specialize. Yeah. 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 I I agree with that. So that's great advice, Lisa. I like it. It's like you're a professional or something. (laughs) And I think when you specialize too, like when you specialize, um, you've got to keep growing as well. Yes. So that's one of the big challenges too, because you know how you love to move Mm -hmm. and then you've got to balance that with pushing yourself to grow outside those parameters. And you were saying just a second ago about people beating themselves up like I can't, you know, well, they can't get that move and it doesn't sit well in them. Um, that's something <laughs> that's something really strongly evident with competitive pole dancers, yeah. low level pole dancers who are just newbies and they're babies and they're coming in for their first classes. They can be self-critical in a way like, oh, I'm not strong enough. Oh, oh, oh. but you encourage them. And you're like, look, stick with it. You'll learn. Don't worry. You know, let your body take this in. Yeah. And their attitude to it is by and large, it's positive. They have like trust in the process that the, yes, they'll get stronger and yes, they'll improve. But I find the higher level and the competitive pole dancers mm-hmm. are so insanely self-critical yeah. that it's exhausting. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I mean that in all seriousness. Yeah. Like you were saying, you know, they're like, oh my God, I'm criticizing myself because I can't get this move because it doesn't sit well on them. Yeah. That process is fucking not nonstop with competitive pole dancers. And I often tell them, just give yourself a fucking break, you know, calm down. Um, Yeah. The negativity is not going to help. I mean, we all fall victim to it, but it doesn't help. Yeah. Especially when you're competitive or high level, like you got there because you're probably like a very, you know, intense trainer and wanting to be at that higher level. So it's kind of hard to like remove that, that self-criticism, but you kind of have to have that other perspective of like, yeah, but I can do this thing that I do really well and yeah. some people struggle with. And it's like, if we could yeah. all do everything well, then that would be really fucking boring. So I know. And we'd all be Marlo. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's the least boring person yeah. in the world, but if we could all do everything well, we'd all be Marlo. Yeah. yeah there are always exceptions to the rule. Right. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, that's great advice. And I think another thing um, I wanted to ask you like on this, on this topic is the longevity. Like you do have longevity in pole and training people, you probably do come across people who aren't training correctly or who are like injuring themselves early or pushing too hard or maybe just not training properly. What's your insight on that? Um, so I, I do have longevity, but I have been pretty grievously injured a few times. What happened? Um, oh, so many things. <laughs> um, 
being self being self taught, you, you no one's looking out for you. Mm-hmm. So um, and no one's teaching you. Um, and there wasn't even YouTube. I couldn't even go online and look up simple ways to rehabilitate a shoulder. It's the physio. You got to go to the physio or nothing. Like you didn't. I didn't have any assistance. Now I'm a Pilates instructor. Uh-huh. Um, that's a yeah. That's another thing I teach. So now I'm a Pilates instructor. So I I go. Oh no, it's hurt. Oh, I'll fix, fix, fix. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but back in the day, yeah, I, I subluxed like minor dislocated my right shoulder mm, four or five times. Um, which is now it's completely rehabbed and it feels amazing, thank God. But that caused me a lot of troubles for a few years on end. Um, Yeah, I've had a little bit of trouble with my ribs from Janeiro back in 2012. Um, Popped a rib a little bit. Yeah, and it didn't want to go back into place for quite a while. (laughs) Quite a while as in a couple of years. Good Lord. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I've, you know, I've torn and tweaked and twinged this and that, all sorts of things over the years. My right hamstring has been a little problem on and off over the years. Again, some pretty focused rehab has got it, got it feeling pretty good. But um, most parts of the body that you can hurt I have hurt during the during the early days of training myself um, for competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, these days, these days I'm right on prehab and rehab. Uh, thank God. And the girls, the competition girls um, at my home studio, they're very, very, very responsible. Most of them have suffered an injury or two as they've gone up the levels in pole dancing. Um, pretty much all of them have been pole dancing for. I think five plus years, I believe the shortest term is five for those girls. So they've come through the mid levels and they've perhaps injured themselves a little bit. So now they're really responsible. Um, what was the question? Yeah. No, no I mean, that's I've, pretty much you answered it. It's kind of like live and learn is almost yeah. your response. Like, I just think it's inevitable that people get really into pull and want to advance quickly and aren't necessarily like working with a team. Cause I always say like, this is an athletic pursuit and it's not in, if you're on a sports team, you have this coach and then you have the trainer and then you have the people that give you the ice bath after or whatever. That's not like you don't have this team around you in, in pole, no. unfortunately. So, um, but you're being just as physical on your body, you know? Oh God, yeah. So maybe yeah. that'll happen eventually, where there's it grows to that state. I don't know, but like, yeah. So it's kind of like you're inflicting this this very like difficult physical activity on your body, but you're not rehabbing correctly, or you're not um, tr- like even treating your muscles correctly or the movement correctly. So, um, yep. sounds like, and you're not. Yeah. And you're not cross training and prehabbing. That was going to um, be my next thing. The Pilates, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's smart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I was leaving the office job, um, I, I'm, I'm always doing things in blends. So I, um, <laughs> I quit the masters and got the office job until I could blend in enough, um, pole income without being a studio owner. Mm-hmm. So, I got the office job until I could blend in enough pole income. And then as I was leaving the office job, I wanted to blend in the Pilates <laughs> so I could. So as I moved into more and more and more full-time pole, I could prehab and rehab myself and my students. Um, so I took the Pilates um, certificate in 2000. 
14, 14, okay. I think. The years, years just ago. blend into one another. Yeah. yeah. We'll so. say years ago, <laughs> give or take. <laughs> um, and it's been so, so helpful and so wonderful. Um, uh, so, so helpful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for the, for the higher level girls, um, they get a little bit of, they get, we don't do a focused Pilates session, but they get a little bit of prehab or rehab style Pilates based stuff to work with just to keep them, keep them on track. Yeah. Um, I do actually like disturbingly, and it's always the way it is. I see more injuries coming from the lower and mid-level girls who just like you said, they want to advance quickly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's true. So they yeah. come in, they're a beginner. Okay, they're good. They learn to climb the pole. They get their inside leg hang, outside leg hang as they move up through the levels. Uh, and then they get confident, mm-hmm. um, really confident. And then they get on YouTube, um, <laughs> you know. And we are, we're in their ear like, no, you need to, you know, do your exercises, go slow, do it on both sides, focus on this, focus on that. We're telling them how to engage, where to engage, body placement. You know, we're lecturing them nonstop on the what's and the how's. Mm-hmm. But once they get up a little bit of confidence and they open YouTube, two weeks later they roll back into the studio and they're like, oh, I've just got a sore shoulder. I'm really sore in my rib. I think I tore my hamstring. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, so it's the mid-level girls who who are the troublesome bunch in terms of injuries. And there's nothing you can't, there's nothing you can do about it because they, you lecture them nonstop and you teach them, you know, you teach them the right ways to stay safe on the pole but they're not always at your studio. Yeah. They're at home or they're at another studio doing open practice time where they just go wild and they come back and they're fucked. It's that so, live and learn thing that they haven't done yet. <laughs> yeah. But they don't have the excuse because they have the coaches on their ass about how to do it right. What's their excuse? They're just excited. And you know what? I think like, especially if you don't have a history in dance or athletics or something like that, like, I feel like, you know, I did say, you know, track and I did soccer in and basketball. I did all those things, right? There was never like... What were your track events? Oh, I ran the 3200. I was a distance runner. Um, Ah. But there was never like, oh, if you work harder, you're going to get like super injured like you will on a pole. You know what I mean? Kind of like we worked really hard. There was not that like it happens. But my experience was I never got injured enough in sports that I kind of knew before like, oh, what it was like to actually chain on a metal apparatus. So we kind of have you know, going through the system, like, yeah, just work harder, work harder, you'll get better. And then your time goes down, or you score more goals or whatever, you know, so um, it could be just that experience too, not knowing like, oh, this is different. Because of this metal thing. And because of your, it's more like gymnastics, I guess. Oh, God, yeah. And you're taking generally, you know, generally it's grown um, women and we have boys at bottoms up, thank God. So it's yeah. grown women and some grown men. Yeah. And if they don't have a background in um, gymnastics or dance, mm-hmm. um, you're trying to teach grown, unprepared people how to do gymnastics. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's that's quite the learning curve. Yeah. It's fair, yeah. And their strength, I find their like their strength um, improves, their strength outpaces their technique in a sense. So, you know, they, you get a, a grown woman and she can't quite climb the pole yet. She hasn't quite got the strength. 
within a few weeks, let's say, or maybe a couple of months, she'll have the strength to climb the pole. But that doesn't mean she'll have the technique to do a great inverted straddle. But she'll begin trying. Mm, That's true because you don't know, like, you have to engage your shoulder or you have to – I don't teach, so I don't really know the correct thing, but – it's, yeah, but you're right. You don't know where and how to engage, how to hold yourself, what to do. But you see it on YouTube and you go, well, look, this chick just climbs the pole and then she goes upside down. So I'm going to do that because I can climb the pole really well now. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like your advice is don't try to rush too quickly and that to like make sure that you're learning the technique. Um, it's not just having the strength to do something. It's knowing like hand placement and and body placement and engagement and also cross train maybe in something like Pilates. Yes. Yeah. Get on the Pilates. It's, it's amazing. It's great. It's low impact, but it is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, what else can I say about it? Get on it. It's great. But- yeah. Yeah. I've been hearing that come up more and more in the pool community. So um, I think people are getting wise to it. Yeah, I think so. And uh, we were talking earlier um, about how, like, I just love following you on social media and how, like, you always have a lot of good insight on things. And I think uh, one thing we were saying was the twisty grip. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, let's... Yeah. <laughs> uh, see, I, I love twisty grip. Like, and I don't, okay, so there are some people who just don't love it full stop. But, but the, the look it can give on the pole it's usefulness through transitions can't be denied. Like it can give a beautiful look through many shapes. Um, it can get you twizzling around like wrap and unwrap via twisty grip. You know, you can get that twizzling look. It's beautiful. Um, but yeah, seeing it, seeing it be taught as the first handspring in, in lots and lots of studios is it's, it's really, really troubling. Like you can't, uh, I see a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. In fact, most of the people I know who sustain a shoulder injury have sustained it because of twisty gripping um, oh. before they're, yeah, before they're ready to be able to twisty. Um, so I'm a big, big believer in teaching the split and cup grip handsprings first when your students are ready to handspring, obviously. So they're at the appropriate level and they're ready to handspring now um, or ready to prep for handsprings. Um I really do think we should be prepping them in split grip and cup grip before we begin getting them up into twisty grip handsprings. It's, there's just no way we're supposed to internally rotate that far, the amount of torque on the joint, and then hang our full weight from that. It's actually not even a motion I think that humans are supposed, if you believe in supposed, supposed yeah. to do full stop, let alone launch into it before you can actually successfully lift through a split grip handspring. I feel fairly strongly about that one, but um, it's contentious because students want to be able to handspring and there is a massive financial imperative like studios need to get students in through the door and keep students. If you've got a studio three kilometers away from you who has their level five students handspringing in twisty grip and placing photos all over social media, like big celebration posts. They got the party hat emoji, (laughs) everyone's high-fiving. They're all posting videos where hilariously someone does a funny bum dance across the camera to celebrate. You know, everyone's like celebration dance. So all these girls are twisty grip handspringing in level five and all their friends are celebration dancing and they're all having big kisses and hugs. And then the studio three kilometers away at level five, those girls are not anywhere near handspringing 
their teacher is telling them, in level seven, you'll begin learning to split grip handspring, the students won't stay. That's They just fuck off. That's so, and it's like no no shade on people who celebrate their feats in pole like oh no, I love that shit celebrate, God. but like then you know <laughs> is there is there post two weeks later oh. like out for three months because my shoulders <laughs> yeah. fucked up now <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's more like their post it's more like their post twelve months later is um so I'm preparing for my first competition but I have absolutely awful shoulder injuries going on help yeah. anyone does anyone have the name That's, of a good physiotherapist or osteo prepping for this first time. comp and my right shoulder just can't do it and I'm like well yeah but but oh yeah celebrating your achievements on Facebook yeah. absolutely I as a platform for community community and for support and for enjoying each other's achievements it can't be beaten it's amazing so yeah totally for the party hat emoji yes (laughs) yeah so just to be clear lisa's not anti-party hat emoji okay i am pro party (laughs) i have four party hats around me right now that's a tissue we go we could use our imagination (laughs) but like that's not the you know it, it shouldn't be um at the at the expense of safety or at, you no. know, you don't need a new I, achievement no. every week and you don't need to get the handspring <laughs> before you, you know, have that party hat ready at the, at the time when you're ready to actually do the handspring safely and correctly. Well, the onus isn't on the student in that regard. So those students, and I feel uh, one of the things is it's a feeling of, I feel, I feel sorry for students in some ways, because those people celebrating that handspring, they're basically doing so innocently because their their teacher is telling them, you're ready for this. It's time. They believe, they believe you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your teacher is telling you, you are ready for this. It's time. You'll love it. See that, see that beautiful shape, that handspring. You're ready. Let's do it. Yeah. Set up like this. Okay. We engage like this. You know, you can teach it as well as you like, mm-hmm. but if a student isn't preconditioned for it it doesn't matter if they're not conditioned and ready for that shape it doesn't matter how well you teach it Um, so the students believe the teacher who's telling them it's time you're ready but the studio that's telling them that is under the same financial pressure to keep their students as all the other studios Mm. there's pressure all the way down so it's it's like yeah it's a what do you do what can you do the studio who's like we're not teaching that move till level seven it's not safe for your shoulders this and that this and that this and that you need more time can preconditioning um before you can get into that internal rotation and load into it the studio that's telling their students that their students may not necessarily want to wait they might leave where does that leave the studio owner like the who who pays the rent like it's so it's kind of trouble it's a bit dodgy across the board if we could get every studio to agree to, to teach their split grips or cup grips first, well, that would be a different kettle of fish. That would be amazing. Then you would see the girls not in level five but in level, let's say, seven yeah. celebrating their first split grip handspring. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, yeah, yeah. it would be a whole different kettle of fish. That's a good message, though, of, like, you know, responsibility as teachers and being more, like, aware of, like, what you're enabling your students to do. I mean – you know, students yeah. have to, t- I think students have to take self-responsibility too. Like I was in a workshop a couple of weeks ago and they were working on handsprings and I was like, I don't do handsprings. Like, I just don't, I have a bad shoulder from fucking it up years ago and pull, I'm just not going to do it. So it's like, 
guys, if you're hurting, like not everyone does handsprings or like not everyone does every move. You have to take personal responsibility for your own body of like, if that hurts every time, stop doing it. (laughs) Absolutely. And these days with how broad our performance um, spectrum is in pole, you can get on stage and you can perform at a high level without being able to do a handspring. And that's a fact. You can do a stunning art piece with Genuinely difficult, complicated, impressive movements, tricks, shapes, positions, choreography in it without ever once doing a handspring or or moving through a handspring position. So, yeah, Yeah. know know your body. That goes back to like also knowing your style and like understanding what works for your body, you know, and focus on that. And yeah, because... Yeah. No one wants to get injured and no teacher wants that responsibility on them of someone injuring no. themselves during their class. I'm sure that has to be awful. So <laughs> it's terrible and it happens. Yeah. Um, mostly because we're teaching an acrobatic sport and accidents happen. Yes. Like you can prep and you can set up your very best, but if, if you slip, you slip and accidents happen. So that's really painful in class when a student hurts themselves. I hate it. Yeah. But it happens. It's yeah. inevitable. Um, And then one other thing I wanted to touch on about, um, well, about social media in general, we were talking about how, again, I'm going to put all of your social media links in the notes so people can find you and follow if they're not already. But like, what has been your experience? Is there any other issues that um, you on social media you notice since you've been you've it seems like you've been in the industry pre social media now during social media? seeing the explosion, seeing things. Is there anything else you want to kind of share with us that could be a bit insightful? (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Pearls of wisdom. No pressure though. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, I joined Facebook, I think in 2011, Mm -hmm. I believe, you know, Um, and yeah, our industry has absolutely exploded and on the one hand it's like thank god because it's giving people careers like yeah access to social media is giving us careers and um i'm someone who has personally benefited from that like um the ability to connect with the community you know the ability to connect to share to actually form relationships in a real sense both in a both in a um in an industry networking sense and in a real person-to-person sense, has been unbelievably fostered by social media. And it has made me able to have a career in pole dance, basically. Um, so that's amazing. Yeah. And then you've got the flip side to that coin, where pole isn't anymore a, um, a personal niche activity, uh, where it's like your own secret world. It's now a huge public world. And um, with that comes the marketeers and the the products and the 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 marketing and the commercialization of the industry. On the one hand, that's unbelievable because um, a lot of it's female entrepreneurship. And how important is that? Like it's it's massively important. And oh well, that's it. I can't really overstate that. It's massively yeah. important. Female entrepreneurship and the available the availability of business options and entrepreneur entrepreneurial options for us women. Yeah. It's huge. And then on the flip side of that is um how commercial do we become? Like every single time 
we get up to train, do we say, these are my pants, this is my top, this is my this, this is my that, this is my pole grip, this is my this, music by such. Yes, people deserve credit for their creations, but it's it's like we were saying um, ages ago about, um, well, you and I were chatting earlier about the yoga industry, where what what is or can be a deeply personal practice that connects you um, to your own energy and your own movement can become a display of expensive leggings. And that's, you know, it's like, which for me is sometimes depressing. And sometimes for me personally, it can be an ostracizing factor um, because I have never swum very well in the stream of popular trend. Like, um, (laughs) I was, <laughs> you know, in high school, there's that one sad person that everyone makes fun of and that person eats lunch in the library alone every day while everyone else plays. That was literally me. What? I spent. I don't I, believe yeah, it. I, I don't believe no, it. No, actually. Yeah, wow. right. You can, you can not believe it, but I literally spent <laughs> okay, every I'm single day it. of my year, of my first year of high school, wow. eating lunch alone in the library because what's popular and what's hot and what everyone's buzzing about has never sat well with me. Mm-hmm. So when every Facebook post can sometimes be, oh, my God, guys, hug, hug, lug, love, kiss, kiss, I'm so in love with my new XYZ apparel, it's the best and I can't get enough of it, but every single post is like that. I'm like, is, it, is dance just a business? And then on the flip side, will people need their money to live and people yeah. need to run their businesses. So there is no easy answer to that. Yeah. The, the thing I is sometimes, sometimes I grow tired and then other times I am able to acknowledge the value in the growth of business in our industry. And that is so vital for our industry to grow the mm-hmm. growth of business. Um, I guess it's a ch- it's all a- I need is balance. Yeah. No, I think that's like, Hey, you know, that was a, a, I'm happy that you said that because it's not like necessarily popular opinion, but like we like to talk about all different topics here. And I don't think we've ever talked about on the podcast and like, obviously like I sell shit, you know, like, (laughs) and I love, I have girlfriends with brands that sell shit and like, I want you to buy my shit, poolparlor.com slash shop. Um, No, but like (laughs) that's, and and it gives me the ability to do this podcast. And like, you know, some people have been able to, you know, pursue pole having having their business and you know we need booty shorts yes. and like I'd rather give that money to um you know say bad kitty than Nike yes. you know because yes. like they're supporting our industry so that's yes. cool but let's also not try to I guess just focus on the the image of it all and yes the image yeah. Yeah, I, I guess like that's the message. Don't let that overshadow the the art of it or the athleticism of it or like the 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 dance itself. Yeah. Yes, balance. Balance. And and like you said, you've got friends who have who have their own apparel or who sell things and you sell things and I'm a brand ambassador for Xpol. Um yeah. and periodically um pole clothing companies send me things to wear. Um and, you know, who doesn't want beautiful clothes, yeah. you know, beautiful, beautiful, functional, high quality pole wear. Yeah. So it's, it's the, it's the two sides of the coin. Well, no, it's like a, it's like a 10 sided coin, you know, there's <laughs> entrepreneurship 
and industry building, which is vital for our industry Mm -hmm. and necessary. There's the women who work hard in our industry who build their careers, and that's unbelievably important and vital for our industry. There's, um, there's, well, those two things, really, entrepreneurship, women who build their businesses in our industry, the fact that we require products. It's not like we don't need anything. It's not like you can just wander out into the forest and go, well, I'm pole dancing. You need um, (laughs) things to wear, grip aids to use so you don't fall on your head. You need poles. We literally need items, so supply and demand. And yet it's way better to buy within the industry, obviously, to support our industry and the people in it. Um, And then on the flip side of that is when things become overly image conscious and you start to wonder if you can keep swimming in the stream if um, for some of your videos you're literally just going to wear your undies. Are you allowed to do that and, and still have a popular presence if sometimes it's just your undies? Do you, do you yes. know what I, yeah, it's balance. It's balance. So what are your, your plans, goals moving forward? Are you anything worth, worth discussing or are you kind of like, you feel like you're really in your flow of like getting like your solid teaching down and still performing and. Um, so over the next while, um, uh, I am slowing down with comps, that's for sure. Okay. Um, but I'm still applying to a couple here and there. So cool. there may or may not be some competitions for me this year. I've been on the fence about whether I would compete this year. Um, so I've been like deciding, do I want to compete or do I only want to perform? Um, so I, I think I might crack out a comp or two this year cool. just for fun. Shits and giggles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not even that much of a fun process. It's a fucking such a hard process. That's really hard. But um yeah. Oh yeah. But I'm so driven towards it. Why? Every you said time I you get close to stage. a competition. <laughs> oh oh uh, I like the low pressure stage, okay. the high pressure stage. I do not like. I crumble almost, but not quite. So it really takes me down to like sinew every time yeah. I get on a high pressure stage, but I'm really driven towards it. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. Something, I don't know what's going on with me Sadist. there. I need I a psychologist know. to yeah. tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I might crack out a comp or two this year. Um, and I'm loving the teaching. Um, just going to keep on teaching and workshopping. It's like, um, when you're kind of pretty embedded in your lifestyle or your job, it's fairly routine like any job is. Teach, 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 coach, 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 workshop, workshop, perform, comp, comp, repeat. Yeah. I was going to say, teach, teach. it yeah. sounds like you've, you've worked really hard to get into a really nice place now where you, you know, have this professional career that's like really ba- balanced and really <laughs> <laughs> trying to yeah. be balanced. You failing know? often at balance, reaching for balance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good for you. What a nice place to be where you can kind of like enjoy your career, you know, without driving yourself Thank crazy, you. flying all around the world and having to compete when you're not really feeling it. So yeah, thanks. Although if you go long enough without competing, that can be a problem as well sometimes. Okay. So there's always like you don't, I think in our industry, you don't, um, you never just you don't just reach a point and then stay there. It's a constant work, constant work to 
to stay where you want to be. Yeah. So because industry is growing, yeah. you know, so yes, it's yeah, yeah, it's growing and it's moving, and so there is a there is constant work yeah. to um, stay on your game. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. I it's that 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 pressure factor, that specific pressure factor is something I enjoy. I need the pressure behind me to push me to stay on my game, to keep me excited and involved and motivated and excited. It keeps it fun. So, yeah, it fun, fun. pressure, challenge. Good. Cool. Yeah. That's a great attitude to have about it. Yeah, um, yeah. So let's <laughs> um, jump into the questions I ask everyone closing out the interview. Right. Who is Lisa D's pole crush? Oh, I read this. You sent me this question. I read it and I was like, <laughs> it's impossible. It what? is. You're allowed to How like, we? Miss, miss Can I have people. many? You can. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Um, so one of my very, my very first couple of pole crushes were um, JK from America. Yes. Amir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Rudy Manure, a Chinese pole artist from Brisbane. Um, Felix Kane from Sydney, Australia, and then came along Natasha Wang and Stephen Retchless and then Marlo and uh, then Ken a couple of years after that, Ken Cow, K-O, Cow. I actually don't know. I've never heard him say his last name. I've always said Cow, I've only read it. you're right. I have Cal? no idea. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard him speak it. Um, and then um, Yvonne Smink, mm-hmm. of course, everyone loves her. Um, uh, there have been, there have been so many over the years, Heidi Coker, um, Bendy Kate, um, but actually there's, there's at least 20 to 30 more. So I'm just (laughs) omitting, yeah, omitting the bulk of my crushes because it would take forever. And yeah. So, oh, Nadia Sharif, like it's just, there are, and they all represent something different mm-hmm. like they all bring something different um yeah there's the technicians and there's the wild ones and there's the sexy ones and there's the hyper well they're all strong there's yeah. the hyper strong ones yes. <laughs> there's the you know the more dynamic ones the more fluid ones there's something they all share is um charisma and stage presence because i admire that so much mm-hmm. um whether they know it or not, when they're on stage, I feel like they're magnetic and my eyes are just, just stuck on them. Um, so, and that's an individual thing, like how I perceive someone to have stage presence is different to how someone else perceives them to have stage presence. So for me, those individuals all have an utterly magnetic presence. Um, whether they're doing a show that like where they hit everything and it's like, a plus all the way through or whether they're doing a more casual show it's just more of a comfortable performance thing an easy thing no matter what they're doing I'm glued to them so it's It's, that yeah that that x factor like what like you can't like name it but they got it (laughs) I got it yeah nice that's a good bunch there and yes it's a difficult question so I think you did a great job (laughs) like rounding that out and Thanks. how would yeah, how would you like to see the pole community evolve over the next five years? Just grow, grow and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to the back to the business and entrepreneurship thing, um, more, more and growing. And I would love to see um, something that 
would be beneficial for our industry is for pole to begin to be um, as accepted in the corporate arena as other aerials are. So there's a, there are a lot of, for example, corporate gigs, nightclub and corporate gigs for various aerial apparatuses, but pole is still not quite in the mix with that. So it's like in one sense we're aerialists, but our um, ability to make money from performance is largely confined to our own industry. Um, whereas for other aerialists of a certain skill level, their ability to earn a living off their off their apparatus um, has like has all of these avenues into the corporate world because a lot of corporate gigs they hire aerialists on the regular. A lot of clubs they hire aerialists on the regular, and that's less so for pole dancers. So I'd love to see um, us be able to branch out into corporate gigs more. Um, yeah, just that's- another avenue to earn a living from your from your work. Yeah. Um, that would be lovely, but industry inter in, inside the industry. Um, I just want to see more growth, uh, for as long as it's sustainable, because it has to be sustainable. There has to be the student body, um, enough of a student body to sustain the businesses. Yes. So I would love to see, yeah, um, more products available to us, more kinds of grip, more, um, pole camps and events, but only as many as we can support. So yeah. growth. More students through the doors of studios, um, leading to more products and events available available to us. But circling back around, all in balance. So I don't feel like my whole news feed is just advertising an ad, <laughs> an ad one massive ad. Um, yeah, more gigs and more growth. Um, corporate sponsorship is something that's important. You mentioned earlier on that Michelle Shimmy um, made an approach and they were like, yeah, cheers, nah, yeah. Um, <laughs> which is so corporate sponsorship for our events, um, we can only imagine the kind of events we could run if there was serious money and serious coverage behind them mm-hmm. and leading on to how many more people we'd be getting through the doors of Pole Studios. Yeah, it all had, tied together. It, it's all tied in. So, you know, yeah, moving into the corporate world, funneling, like heading through into sponsorship from large companies and Red Bull would be perfect. I know. Like, in there, that extreme sports angle, I don't know what they're thinking either. Idiot. Yeah, so, yeah, the corporate world getting on board a bit to help us pack out our studios with excited new students and grow our industry. Yeah, <laughs> agree, agree. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to um, have all your social media links and everything in the show notes. Is there anything that you have coming up that you want to share or just, like, come see you at Bottoms Up in Melbourne or <laughs> – um, see us at Bottoms Up in Melbourne. I am developing a little business. Um, it's a secret, but I'm going to say I'm developing a little a little secret business um, that's going to be using, of course, social media as one of its big platforms. So cool. get on board with some advertising from me. Yeah. <laughs> see, just oh, proof that you're... I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> no, Help just me. proof that you are not anti, that you oh. are completely just in favor of balance. So... I'm pro. Yeah. Um, we need, yeah, we need balance, but we need women entrepreneurs and we need, we need business in our industry. So anyway, yeah. there's going to be a little, yeah. So when, when, when can we expect that? Um, since it is my own business and I am famously unreliable in some ways, <laughs> um, I will say in the next three to seven months, cool. three months, if I can take my finger out of my butt and move myself. <laughs> 
But knowing who and how I am, more likely closer to the five to seven month mark from now for oh. my little launch. Um, it all depends on me because, yeah, and that, that, um, that can be tough because I can be difficult to self. It's difficult for me to self-motivate sometimes. So it's in the works and soon. Okay. And now that I've said it on this podcast, um, I'm going to try and make it closer to the three to five month mark rather than the seven month mark. Yes, please. Cause I'm curious that we'll all be following you to, to end waiting for the announcement. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so before, well, good luck with that. Um, I can't wait Thanks. to see what it is. And um, before I let you go, though, can you leave us with an empowering quote or message or anecdote just to, to sign off with? Uh, something that uh, something that I think often when I'm when I'm trying to make a when I'm trying to choreograph a show or create a stage show and I've got some kind of idea in mind for how I want it to be, but it's a little bit different to usual. Um, I something my mother used to say a lot when I was a child um, has stuck with me for my entire life, uh, and it is: if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Hmm. There you go. So it's just yeah, take risks and be brave. <laughs> Yeah. Don't worry about failing. You can't see change if you don't make change. Yeah, I like yeah. that. So yeah. that's great advice. Yeah, and I and you do that, and you're always growing, and so nice way to sign <laughs> off, Lisa. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was so fun talking with you. Thank you for having me. It was lovely. Oh, you're welcome. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Pole Parlor podcast. Want more? Visit poleparlor.com for show notes and to link to the Facebook group where you can connect with other poleaholics and continue the conversation. Listen to past episodes and subscribe to new episodes on the website, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Lots of love, babes. Thanks for listening.